Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. So Father, we come before you today, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you that it changes us, it directs us, it leads us, gives us the nudge we need once in a while. And Father, we're just so thankful for it. I ask that you speak to our hearts and change our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So today what I want to talk about with you is I want to talk about, the title of my message is Live and Love Like Jesus. And there's a reason why I'm, t- I'm touching on this subject. A few weeks ago, uh, we had a strategy planning meeting with the elders, and the board members, and the staff. And we got together on a Saturday to talk about strategy and, and what God is calling us to do as a church and what our mission and mandate is. And so I'm going to bring up just a slide here that uh, we can look at together. So hopefully you can see that. So there's three stages of strategy in any organization, in a family, in a church. And the first is called the corporate strategy. This is your vision, your mission, your values, the cultures, the demographic that God has called you to, right? And this is something, as you can see, if you look to the other side of the triangle, it's, this is an internal environment. So what happens is the Holy Spirit speaks to the pastor and to the elders, to the leadership, begins to uh, give us God thoughts on where he wants to bring a local church, a business, a family, okay? And so it's, it's internalized. It's something that God gives a picture of where he wants to go in a certain direction. How many know different cities, different churches have different uh, mandates, have other different missions? The message is is the same, but the method is different. So when we were pastoring in Kingston, uh, because Kingston is a university town, we went there and we preached that I, I would get bombarded after the service by congregant members who would say, okay, uh, where did you get that quote from? And who quoted this? And where are you getting the scientific data for this and this? So I had to be very careful because it's a university town. I got to have all my, you know, references. I have to know where I'm getting my information because that was very important to that demographic. And so that's why God has to give specific strategy for different areas and locations. How many hear what I'm saying? And so uh, uh, what I want to talk to you about is just help you understand that this corporate strategy, the reason why it's called corporate is not that it's like corporate headquarters, but it's a corporate vision that has to get in the hearts of people. What is this church about? What are we doing? What's our goal? What's our mission? What's our vision? Okay. And uh, then it moves down into the business strategy, and this is the external environment. This is where that vision that God has begins to manifest into the ministry of the church. And so you can see here we have, uh, we want to have relevant worship, we want to have discipleship, uh, marriage courses, student ministry, connect groups, Catherine's Kitchen outreach, uh, you know, um, I got connect groups twice, don't I? Yes. Facilities uh, are very important, and online service. So these are some of the uh, the business strategies. And so we want to get that internal environment of what God is saying into the business of the church. And then the third strategy is called the growing environment. And this is the functional strategy. This is where the, the staff department and the teams, initiatives, uh, finances, all that has to go back to support the internal environment or the mission of the church. Okay, I'm not going to bore you anymore with this. We can take that down. But the mission of this church is something that I struggled with, saying, God, we started this, you know, taking over the church here about seven years ago or so, and we really felt that we're going to live and love like Jesus. 
But then I started thinking that's a real hard thing to measure up to. Maybe we should change it. So we had some discussion about changing the mission statement from live and love like Jesus to something that would be simpler, right? And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and said, no, we want to have that as a mission statement. This is very important. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what it means to live and like, love like Jesus. What God began to show me through his word, so I begin to understand things differently here, is that most churches focus on theology, okay? And theology is good, okay? This is what did Jesus teach, okay? Uh, and when we stand before God, we will not be judged by what we know about God, but it's what we do with what we know. And so back a few years ago, in Matt, I think it was in 2019, God brought this scripture to me, and I began to meditate on it, and my eyes were opened. And this is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered with him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you visited me. Okay, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will say, we're all going to say, what? I don't get it. What do you mean? When did we see you? You know? Lord, when, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you, you know, in need? And this is what he's going to say here in the next verse. When you did this to a stranger and you took them in, when you... Sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm ahead of the verse here. When did you see a stranger and when did you... Uh, and take you in or naked and clothe you. Next verse. Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Amen? And it was like I had this deep revelation that God has called us not just to believe the information, but to process the information to produce transformation and demonstration. I'm not going to say that again. But we're, we're to take the information of the word of God. We're supposed to take the scripture. We're supposed to process it, and we're supposed to live it out in our lives. And what's amazing here is you don't see Jesus saying, you know what? You, you, when, 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 when you were on the earth, uh, you were supposed to water baptize people by, uh, by putting them fully under, but then, no, you were just sprinkling them. Or you were supposed to believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and you didn't, so you don't get in. Or, you, you know, your theology was a little bit off. I don't see that. Do you see that? What I see is Jesus saying, what did you do with what you knew? Can I hear an amen? <laughs> and so God has called us to, to, to not just believe, but to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this essential doctrine is very important. Uh, the church fathers have passed these essential doctrines on to us through different creeds. So the first creed that we have that was passed down is called the Apostles' Creed. And this creed was uh, established in 140 A.D. We're going to quote it in just a minute together. And so the leaders of the early church would have people, before they were baptized, they would quote this creed 
to make sure that their faith aligned with the gospel, and then they would baptize them. Okay? So we call this essential doctrine. So if you don't believe with this, you're not part of the church. But if you agree with this, then you're part of the body of Christ. So the, our founding fathers, the, uh, the apostles, this was their, the apostles' creed that was, uh, we're going to quote it in just a minute. Now we get to the second part of this creed. It talks about the Catholic Church. And I want you to know that the Roman Catholic Church was not in existence when this creed was put down. The word Catholic means universal church. Catholic means universal. So when you quote that, you know, I, I've actually read through this with uh, Protestants, and when you say Catholic, nobody wants to say it, right? Not that I have anything against Catholics, but I want you to understand what, what it means. Okay, so let's say it together. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So how many believe that? Welcome to the church. Amen? And um, then we see in the third century, we receive what we call the Nician Creed, which is a little bit longer, which include a clearer understanding that Jesus was not created, but was co-equal with God in, in existence. And so that was added because there was some theology that came in that was questioning who Jesus was. All right? So the Nician Creed is what we actually go by. And so in our community in Trenton and Belleville area here, to be part of the ministerial, we have to agree to the Nician Creed. We have to sign up. I, I can agree to that. Well, welcome to the family. Amen? But see, the problem is we... So this is, this is essential doctrine, but then there's non-essential doctrine. These are the, the issues that we all debate and talk about. It actually divides churches and creates demonization. I mean, denomination. It's a joke. But it creates division in the body of Christ. And we, we, we you know, get, you get some groups, well, we don't believe in the second blessing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that passed away with the apostles. It's not for today. So we're going to go over here and we're going to teach here. And so the whole church is built around the theology. So you come to this church because this is what we believe. And then you have other churches that really focus on tradition. They like bells and smells. <laughs> incense. Costumes, right? And I say, you know, if you're wearing a costume, you better have superpowers, right? You're a superhero. But they like to wear the garments and the bells and the smells and the traditions and the way they do things. And everything is built around tradition. There's nothing wrong if you like tradition. There's no problem with that. And some churches are built around theology. Well, we, uh, Non-essential theology. We believe this, and they don't believe exactly like we believe. So, you know, you know and I've had people literally come in here. I said, we love your preaching, Pastor. We enjoy the church. We love the atmosphere. But we're against women in ministry. And they pull out their Bible and they show me all their scriptures. And then I sit down and show them, refute it with my scriptures. And then they say, well, I still can't agree. And I say, well, you know what? I love you. And I'm part of a ministerial. And some of our churches don't like women in ministry. Go over there. You'll have a great time. And they'll go over there, right? And I love them and I bless them and I release them. Because it's non-essential. It's not that important. 
How many here? It's important, but it's not important. It's not essential for your salvation. What is essential for your salvation is understanding that Jesus Christ came and died, and he is the one who stands as our great high priest. Amen? And we put our faith and dependent on him. And so many times we get focused on theology. And so this church, I really feel that God is saying, you know, it's not about, it's important what we believe, but more importantly, it's what we do. Are we, are we clothing the naked? Are we feeding the hungry? Are we reaching out to people who are hurting? Are we reaching people in relationships? Amen? And um, in all of these creeds, and there's, there's quite a few of them, I don't want to go through them, there's none of the non-essential doctrines mentioned about how we baptize people, what costumes we wear, if we use incense, uh, sprinkling, dunking, women in ministry. None of that is included because it's not essential. And see, what the devil wants to do is divide the church because we have a different understanding or an interpretation on the non-essentials. And God is doing a move in the earth where he's bringing his body together in unity to agree on the essentials. Can I hear an Amen. But what I want as a church, what I want for my own life, okay, is not just to understand the Bible or to understand the traditions of the church, and some of them are great. I want to live and I want to love like Jesus. And so when I open the Bible, how did Jesus deal with religion? How did Jesus deal with people who were hurting? How did Jesus walk through the earth? Because I want to imitate that. And I'll tell you what I see when I read the Bible is he lives supernaturally. He was dependent on the Father. He, he loved relationally, and he lived on mission. And I think if we as a church would focus and say, God, you know, I want to live and love like Jesus, and that becomes the mission of our hearts, we can bring transformation. And so even now, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll have a heated debate with somebody who will come and, and just have a bad attitude and talk to me and I want to respond and then the Holy Spirit says live and love like Jesus and I'm like how would Jesus deal with this and then I, I would shift out of my natural response and say and I'll respond the way Holy Spirit responds okay when my neighbor Karen I mean Julie sorry I got that one missing, gives me a hard time how am I going to respond to her right I got to live and I got to love like Jesus right and so we talk about this and we think it's such a tough mission. How can we measure up? How can we be like Jesus, right? So I want to go, if we can go together to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8, because if we're going to live like Jesus, we must think like Jesus. And in Philippians 2, 3 and 8, it says, Let nothing be done, say nothing, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, this way of thinking, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. And he came in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." And so Jesus himself came, and he became a servant leader, right? And Jesus talked to his disciples and said, hey, the Gentiles, when they rule and reign over people, they lord over them, and they, they give them, they control them. But it's not going to be this way in the kingdom of God. You're going to serve, you're going to lift up, and you're going you're to come and serve people. You're not going to lord over them. 
And Jesus came as a suffering servant. He came and he served people. He fed them. He healed them. He ministered to them. And, and this was the heart of Jesus, right? He came as a servant leader with meekness. Do you know what meekness means? It means strength under control. It's like you have the strength, but you're not using it because you have maturity and compassion. When people wanted to mock Jesus, the religious people came and mocked him. He could have just snapped his finger and they would all die. When he was on the cross, he could have called for a thousand angels. They would have came and taken him off the cross and said, look at me, I'm God. He didn't do that, right? He came as a servant in meekness, power under control. And God has called us to be meek and humble and to have this mind that he had. He was hearing for steering. Jesus was actually hearing the Father and obeying the Father. He was under the mission. He was in submission to the Father. And this is where, you know, people get, they wake up. Because Jesus was in submission. You know what submission means? It means you're under the mission. And, and Jesus didn't come on his own authority. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Okay? Hebrews 4.11. But before we do that, let's go to Hebrews 4.11. I'm going to touch on something else here. Hebrews 4.11. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter the rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Okay? And this scripture is telling us that we're to strive to enter into a place of rest. Okay? And the Bible, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Okay, And I think there's a lot of striving. We can get into striving. We're trying to be better Christians. We're trying to be better mothers and fathers, and we're trying to do better, 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 because we grew up in a world since we were born. We're being programmed that if you want something in life, you got to do it yourself. you got to work hard. you got to accomplish. you got to accomplish because nobody else is going to take care of you. We grew up with that. But now as believers, we need to realize that we have a Father in heaven that takes care of our needs. And so we're to enter into a rest. If you're going to do any striving, you need to strive to enter into that place of like, it's going to be okay. God's got me. God's got my situation. God's got the solution. And, and we're being told here that we have to enter into the rest of God. And I tell you, that has a lot to do with what, how you hear. Now, I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 12. Now, this is, you've got to remember, too, the children of Israel have left Egypt. They were delivered under the hand of Moses. God had, had done supernatural signs and wonders. He's, he's parted the Red Sea so they could walk over on dry land. He led them by a pillar of fire at night, cloud by day. He was coming down and visiting Moses. He was coming down on the mountain. The people were trembling. They saw this hand of God come and bring ten plagues against Egypt. They've seen a lot. And look what, what, the war, what happens here in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me. They saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their head. You're right. Because there's a difference between knowing it. See, people can be in obedience to God, so they're, they're, they're obeying, but they're not submitted in their hearts. 
There's a difference. And he said, they always go astray in their hearts, because God is always looking at the heart, and they have not known my ways. Okay? They have not known my ways. And so they could not enter into the rest of God because they didn't know the ways of God because they didn't listen to the voice of God. Amen? And God is so good. God, God took care of the children of Israel. But then they allowed fear to begin to speak to them. And the situation began to speak to them. And next thing you know, they were like, we're going to die. We're never going to make it to the place of rest because they got their eyes off of God's ability onto their own ability. And then we see here in Hebrews 3, verse 12, it says, Beware, brethren. I want you to look at your neighbor, and if it's a girl, say cistern. Okay? Below, behold, beware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So here, here what, what we're being told is that it was that unbelief in the heart is an evil heart in the sight of God. So when we stop trusting that, hey, God is enough, guess what happens? Our heart begins to listen to fear, and we begin to back away, and we move in our own strength. Now, let's go back to Hebrews 4, verse 11. We're going to read again. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest. What is that rest? It's Jesus. Let Lest any of you fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God, who is the word of God? Is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrows. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we must give an account. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We enter into the rest when we look and see that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of the living God, who has entered into the presence of God on our behalf. You say, I don't have any rest. You're looking to yourself. Look unto him who is going before God on our behalf as our high priest. Right? Look what it says. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So he understands the temptation you're going through. He understands the struggle you're going through. So what does it say? Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. And so what is God's way for the Christian is here, remain in faith that your compassionate high priest can handle your condition and handle your situation. And, and, and God is calling us to hear the voice of Jesus. He's the great shepherd. He's speaking to us and that we obey because we trust. Amen? And there's so much rest in that. We're not, we're not following the tradition of men. We're not, you know, harping and going on and arguing about doctrines that, you know, are important but not essential. We're focused on, what are you saying to me, Lord? And I trust you. I rest. You have a miracle for me to get me through this situation, whether it's a, a relational issue or a financial issue or a, a mental health issue, whatever it is. God, I trust in you. 
because you're the great high priest and you go before God and you have mercy and grace to help me and I trust. And you know what, guys? There's so much rest in that. Because the enemy wants us to get all caught up like trying to get our ducks in a row and make sure we're here, make sure we're doing this and if we don't do this and God's not happy. And we move into works. And we move away from faith in Jesus as the solution. Can I hear an amen? And so last week, Pastor Peter talked about hearing for steering. And in living and loving like Jesus, the one thing that I'm going to take a few minutes to try to clarify here is that Jesus lived in submission to the Father. He was under the mission of the Father. So here we got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're equal, they're one, but there's a rank and authority in the Trinity. Did you know that? The first time I heard this message, I said, heresy. Like, I couldn't believe that you would try to, like, give one authority over the other. But let, what does the word say? So go to the scripture. So we need to understand that churches have an authority structure. Families have an authority structure. Businesses have an authority structure. Your boss has an authority over you. I don't think my boss has authority over me. What, does he sign your paycheck? Yeah. I don't like the way he treats me. Find another job. But don't talk bad about your authority because you're violating the principle of covering. Amen? Uh, these are all principles. And in, we're going to do a Highway to Wholeness Part 2, which will be in January. We're going to teach some teachings and principles from the Word of God that were very popular in the 1600s in the Puritan movements. And when you apply these principles, it brings breakthrough in your whole realm. We're going back to some of the original teachings on submission, authority, how, how that works. Businesses have authority structures. The Godhead has an authority structure. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul says, there's one thing I want you to know. So you think it's important? It's one thing. Paul says, I want you to know this. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And we'll describe that a little bit later. And the head of Christ is is God. You see that? See, we, re we read the Bible so fast we don't stop. Like, you know, we're so busy. Back in the Puritan days, they had nothing else to do but stare at Scripture. We got phones and everything. And, they, and you, you start reading this. The head of Christ is God? What does that mean? In other words, and if I translate this modernly, it says, every man is responsible to Christ. This is the actual modern translation. A woman is responsible to her husband. Not to every man, but to her husband in a godly ordered relationship. And Christ is responsible to God. And we see that in Scripture as we start to go through this in John chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. It says, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Okay, Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. You see that? For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. So Jesus is saying, I don't do anything because I'm hearing for steering. I'm here on the earth for ministry, but I listen to the Father, and he tells me what to do, and I do it because I'm in submission. I'm under the mission of the Father. You see that? And he had no problem sharing that. Though he was equal with God, he made himself of no reputation and submitted to train us 
what authority looks like. So then we see here in John chapter 14, verse 28, just to get the religious people don't like this. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. Jesus is saying the Father is greater than I am, but they're equal. Men and women are equal. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal. But he's saying there's an authority structure of submission. The Holy Spirit, we see, is under the authority of Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 34, or 13 to 14. However, when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he, ha- he will not speak on his own authority. Is that clear? He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And so we see this beautiful partnership between God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the submission to the authority. And we understand something very clearly here. She's a good preacher. That's awesome. It's good. We understand. Here, here I just want to simplify it for you. So God the Father thought it. Say, God the Father thought it. God the Word said it. God, the Holy Spirit, did it. See, God, God envisioned, God wanted to create the earth. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He spoke, and the Word came into existence because the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the earth. And when the Word, when the thought came, the Word came, and when the Word came, the Holy Spirit said, let me get busy, and He does the work to bring it into the natural realm. I want to tell you this. The Holy Spirit lives within you. God has his thoughts on what marriage looks like. God has his thought of what family looks like. God has his church, his, his idea of what church looks like, what, what's healthy political systems. All that is in the scripture. This is the thoughts of God that have been spoken by Jesus. He is the word. He brings the thoughts of God and he puts words to it, comes here. But then the Holy Spirit is like, I want to do something. So when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. When God, God, is, God has a way he wants, and, and Jesus speaks to you, the good shepherd speaks to your heart, and the Holy Spirit says, I want to get busy. And so God talks to you, you know, you need to deal with this bitterness in your heart towards your aunt. You hear a sermon, or you're reading the Bible yourself, and you just feel this conviction. i got to deal with this bitterness in my heart. And, and God is speaking. Jesus is being go and, and deal with this, and the Holy Spirit's like, let's do it. And you're like, I'm not ready. So God is trying, there's, there's this progression, the thought, the word, the action. And we can actually put a hindrance to what God wants to do by saying no. And we break it off, right? See, if we want the supernatural to happen in our life, then we've got to say, yes, Lord. I hear your word, but now I'm going to be a doer of the word. I'm going to live and love like Jesus. Amen? Because we can go from conference to conference to meeting to meeting to hear and get excited. And let's talk about the river and let's talk about the fruit and let's talk about all the good things of God. But nobody is willing to say, how can I align my life? Holy Spirit wants to do something. How many hear what I'm saying? So if you hear the Lord speak to you and you obey, you give the Holy Spirit permission 
to move your life into a supernatural realm. Can I hear an amen? Now, there's all these authority structure systems that I don't have a ton of time to get into, but I will teach them in the Highway to Wholeness uh, part two in January. We're going to do a, like a two-day training thing on that. But servant leadership is, is part of the kingdom culture. And, you know, I've done a lot of counseling over the years, and I've had probably six out of every ten people that visit me have been abused by a spouse verbally, physically, and in other ways, and also um, spiritually abused by leadership. So I understand there's, been, there's, there's ungodly order in all of that, and I've had to, to pray and do ministry and bring healing in those areas. So if you're ever in, a, in an abusive situation where you're not being served, then um, you want to get out of that situation because we're not talking about control. We're talking about s- serving the mission of God, the, the way God would, would have things uh, operate. And Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for, what do they do? They watch out for your souls as those who give an account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for who? For you. Um, and this is something that God, just God began to reveal to me. And like I said, I'll, I'll go into much deeper teaching later. Uh, but when we were assistant pastors for a season, and I've always been more the head leader and kind of just running with everything. And uh, there were some times where uh, the lead pastor would disagree and say, we're going to go in this direction. I'd be like, no, we should go in this direction. And, well, we should go. In, and God began to deal with my heart. And he showed me the scripture. He says, Obey the, those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. And, and God began to speak to me about how this pastor would give an account for the congregation. So I changed my heart. I didn't just say, okay, I'll do what he says. I changed my heart, and I came, and I said, hey, listen, you want to go in this direction, and I submit to it, we're going to go in this direction, because you have to give an account for the church. And so I changed my heart, and I moved in that direction. And God began to reveal to me and speak to me about this, um, that when we have submissive hearts towards leadership in our workplace, when we have a, a submissive heart to the Lord in our own personal relationship with Him, right? Uh, then what, what, what it does is the Bible says very clearly that if you want to be in authority, you must be under authority, right? And so the Lord spoke to me and says, if you will remain under authority in submission to the mission, because you know what? If, if, the Holy Spirit is like, I submit to Jesus, and Jesus is like, I'm submitting to the Father, and then I say, I'm not submitting to the leaders. I've broke the pattern of covering that God wants. So God began to speak to me, and I really understood this, and that if I'll stay in submission in my heart under the mission of the church I was working in at the time, then it will put a supernatural covering, covering over my children so they will submit to my leadership in their lives in spiritual matters. And then God began to show me that, you know, a lot of times when people are like, you know, if they're hurt, it's one thing. They need to come for ministry and let's deal with it. But people were just like, I'm not going to, I'm just going to do my own thing and I, I have my own agenda and I'm going to go have church at home. Um, my heart bleeds. I've wept at night because I know so many times their own children uh, come out from under the covering of spiritual authority and they backslide and they don't come to church. And it's like, it, it breaks my heart because I see that if you will not come under authority, others will not come under your authority. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? And I, and I really struggle with sharing this, but the Lord really said, you need to share this with the people 
Because I'm not here saying uh, you need to listen to me. That's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm trying to share the heart of God and the protection of God that's in authority structure. Okay? Um, once I was a guest speaker and I went to minister in a church and I prayed for someone who had a, a disease and, and I prayed for them and I did it in a way that was, um, let's say, pretty charismatic. Let's just say that. I was like pretty aggressive when I prayed. That person actually got healed. But the pastor of the church came to me afterwards and says, I don't agree with how you did that. And, I, you know, we don't do that in this church. So my first thought was like, you're not very spiritual. Don't you realize you got healed? Right? But God tugged on my heart and says, you need to submit. So I came and I said, listen, I'm sorry. He said, uh, I said, next time I come, if you invite me back, I will not minister that way. And I changed my heart. And, of course, I was invited back and was able to minister again. But see, the enemy wants us to be, have this attitude that, you know what, I don't have to listen to anybody but Jesus. But how many know there's authority structure? And then we, when we come under authority, healthy servant authority, it produces fruit in our own lives, right? And when you, choo- when, when you choose a spiritual leader, one of the things I look for when I came under different fellowships as I look to the minister. Are their kids serving God? Are they going to church? How's the wife? Because the Bible says that no one be an elder unless they're the husband of one wife. For, for example, back in those days, uh, they had polygamous relationships still in biblical times. So you have to be the husband of one wife. Your children must be given to authority. Your wife must be taken care of. And there's the scriptures. Because it's like, are you living and loving like Jesus? You're producing fruit. And so I want to finish with this. Um, the mission that God gave Jesus was to go into all the world and make disciples, amen, of all nations. And why don't we stand together as we close in prayer? Amen. Father, I pray for every person present here today. And Father, I thank you that we can be at rest. We don't have to kick doors open. We don't have to try to measure up. All we have to do is keep our eyes on Jesus, keep our confession on Jesus. You are the author and finisher of our faith, Lord. We put our faith in you. When we feel discouraged, when we feel like we've been knocked down, some of you this week, you feel like you've been knocked down. You're like, how can I be better? Well, I'm telling you right now, if you want to rest, remember Jesus is the one who's doing business for you and come boldly to the throne of grace. Say, Lord, I need help. I need mercy right now. God, I pray that your mercy and your grace would flood this place, God, and that we would again be sensitive to the voice. When we hear your voice, we're not going to harden our hearts, God. When you say you need to deal with this issue in your life, you have to deal with this attitude. You need to deal, you know, with this person I've asked you to speak. Whatever it is, God, that we would say, yes, Holy Spirit, you get to do what you're called to do. Your part is to do something, and I'm going to work with you. God, I pray that you would move on our hearts, speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.